Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guests today are Tilman Fechter, a member of the executive board and head of banking, funding and financing at Clearstream Banking, and also a member of the board of HQLAX, and Nick Short, Chief Operating Officer at HQLAX. Our subject is what HQLAX is doing to move the securities industry towards what the company is calling frictionless ownership transfers of assets, starting with improved collateral mobility between tri-party agents, of which Clearstream is one, and fellow shareholders BNY Mellon, BNP Paribas Security Services, Citi and JP Morgan are others. Tillman, Nick, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Dominic. Thank you. Now, the, the clue is, of course, in the name. Uh, is your mission here basically to run a securities lending swapping service to help investment banks meet uh, regulatory demands set, obviously, by the capital uh, ratio, the, the net stable funding ratio, the leverage, there's so many of these things that demand high quality liquid assets. Is that your basic mission to meet those demands to post HQLA as collateral through collateral upgrade trades? Nick. Yes, thank you for the question. Um, and yes, that's certainly the uh, original aim of the platform. Um, and we are using distributed ledger technology to enable clients to swap baskets of securities simultaneously across different um, collateral pools. And in fact, today we have Clearstream, uh, Euroclear, JP Morgan Tri-Party services connected to the platform. And in addition to that, by the end of uh, this year, we'll also have uh, Bank of New York, BNP, um, Paribas Security Services and City Custodian connected to the platform as well. Um, we are focused on Europe to begin with, and we feel that those names um, give us um, a good head start in terms of the collateral pools uh, within Europe. Um, with Deutsche Börse, uh, we have built an, an operating model that enables our clients to exchange ownership of baskets of securities across these locations. And importantly, um, able to do that at precise moments in time, um, in other words, whenever they want. And that's really one of the, the new value adds that, um, that our platform provides. Um, this allows our clients to reduce their capital, co capital costs by either reducing intraday credit exposures or um, avoiding intraday liquidity requirements, which are um, the result of how these trades are done today um, uh, prior to the HQLAX platform being available. This is the uh, initial um, version of the product that, 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 we, that we have live, but it's also worth um, stating that we have several variations um, to this original model um, in the development pipeline, um, including um, holding securities at uh, custodians, i.e. not tri-party, um, allowing ownership of securities to be exchanged for cash, um, as well as uh, allowing these securities to be pledged for, for margin purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks, uh, Nick. Now, Tillman, um, uh, Nick did say that you're using blockchain technology to underpin the platform. Am I right to understand, and this may be a false memory on my part, dating back to a discussion with Clearstream probably many years ago now, about a, a tokenized collateral platform that you were you were then experimenting with. Am I right to understand that HQLX is operating without the collateral having to move because it's tokenizing it onto the uh, onto the blockchain, leaving the assets themselves actually in custody? 
you can then put these, these tokenized assets into these baskets uh, and you can put them onto this ledger where everybody can see who, who owes what and who, who, who owns what and who owes what. Is that right? Uh, and if not, um, how does the HQLX work in, in practice and how does it satisfy the, the regulatory demands which we've just talked about? That's an interesting question. And the answer is yes and no. Um, so the assets itself are not tokenized, right? So the assets itself are staying at the TPA or the custodian. It's just the, the right into the assets, which the TTP, and we have put this uh, in between the trading layer, uh, the DLT layer, and the custody TPA layer. There's a trusted third party. And the trusted third party, its sole role is to make sure that in the account of, let's say, um, the TPA, it's moved from one account to the other into the name of a TTP. Then the TTP is the owner of the legal owner of the assets, and we are tokenizing the assets into a basket. And this token then will be put onto the blockchain where it then can move, right? So it's basically the TTPs bridging the old legacy and bringing the old legacy, put it interoperable to the new um, uh, DLT um, network. So the asset itself stay with the custodian or the TPA, the tri-party uh, agent, but the rights into these assets are tokenized. And this token then is put on the blockchain and gives all of the advantages we'll probably uh, talk about later. Mm -hmm. And the um, regulatory compliance aspect obviously is, is very important. And it's the TTP, which is a Luxembourg-based uh, entity, which is highly regulated and it's um, regulated by the CSSF, which adds this um, comfort um, to all of the financial institutions, obviously, because building the system for H2LX and the TTP um, surely costs a couple of millions. But the real, real um, uh, effort and all of the brain power was really on the legal construct from trading, blockchain, um, uh, the trusted third party and the TPA to ensure that the legal owner at all moments are very clear. And that vertical silo with all of the legal checks from a TTP, TPA, customer level, and then jurisdiction by jurisdiction, was most of the work to be um, to be done in this project, um, and that's why it took a bit longer because there's regulatory compliance and give a customer the comfort that their assets are at all moments in time um, uh, correct and transparent, and everyone knows this rule book um, who owns what at what moment in time, and even as far as what happens if you know the one side doesn't uh, deliver their obligations or even at the, uh, at a moment of a default of a customer what happens now, now Tillman, um you mentioned this cost several millions but it probably cost a lot less than trying to completely reinvent the entire collateral management system of 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 the world um it may be too soon to say this but do you view the way that HQLAX is structured today with the assets staying in custody and, and them being moved through the platform in tokenized form? Is, that, is this a transitional stage? And do you eventually envisage that the entire market will move towards a tokenized model? That's also a good idea um, and a good question. We, we believe that at the moment, HQLAX is the translator between the old and the new world. Um, it's going to stay in this, this hybrid environment for quite some time because we're not going to have a, even if in Europe we would decide, there are so many parts of the world which uh, still have a legacy system in place, which want to jump to the, to the new technology. And maybe at the later stage, um, we'll have a, a HQLX and others coming up and there's an interoperability on um, the DLT blockchain uh, level uh, as well. I think the real uh, big advantage comes in 
many, many years to come if the assets itself are digital. Right? Then we come into a new game where uh, maybe this translation old and new world is not needed. Um, but we are certain that this hybrid world and this translation is, uh, is there for uh, a couple of decades probably. Now, now, Nick, you, you brought up the, the question of the technology. In some of the blockchain-based project, projects that we've seen, um, such as that famously launched by the ASX in Australia, but also the, the CLS um, blockchain network as well, they're not actually uh, operating in a way which users are operating their own nodes. In other words, they as the provider are continuing to operate those nodes on behalf of uh, the users. Is, is your model the same as that? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I think, um, you know, just following on from the points that Tillman just made, I mean, we um, have consciously taken a, a view that to, because this is new technology, that we are um, going to take uh, what we call baby steps towards um, the end vision. Um, and that, that's certainly true with um, the, the DLT, the distributed ledger technology nodes. We're, we're using um, our freeze Corda, um, uh, DLT solution. Um, and it is true that um, in the current version of the platform, HQLX does host all of the, uh, all of the client nodes um, as a first step to, um, to making it as easy as possible for clients to adopt this new solution. Um, however, what I would say is that we, at the same time, are also working with um, several clients, not all, but, but several clients um, who are very focused on on running the the nodes themselves, and um, and we will help and support them um, in uh, reaching that objective. Mm -hmm. Tillman, uh, I'm uh, I've been in this business long enough to to know that collateral mobility has been a running sore for, for probably for thirty years now. People have got all these assets lying around in in, in CSDs and subcustodian banks uh, uh, all over the the planet, and various attempts have been made over the years to make this process more efficient. But in particular, uh, back in 2013, um, a couple of your shareholders, in fact, BNP Paribas and City, uh, reached these arrangements with yourselves at Clearstream and with your friends uh, across the Ardennes at, at Euroclear to, um, to enable uh, owners of, the, of these assets to, to mobilize them to, to secure positions or borrow the stock or whatever. What's the improvement that offers on, on, on that sub-custodian into the, into the local CSD arrangements, which were, which were cooked up back in 2013? How does this improve on that? Yeah, I think that that's still ongoing, right? Not just because and between the TPAs and us and, 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 and Euroclear to um, get interoperability um, for the good of a customer in the market between the TPAs and the various uh, CSDs and ICSD. And I think it had been worked on more the last couple of years to really get the pipes open in between these um, um, so far very siloed organizations. That's a good, uh, good, um, good development. On the other side, it is still physical movement of assets. So if something is transferred from uh, the one TPA to the other or from one custodian to the other, it's physical transfer of the assets. And I think the advantage of HQLX next to the um, you know, instantaneous um, atomic settlement and all of that, is that it doesn't need that anymore. It brings it onto a different level and the assets are just staying in the custodian uh, the customer uh, is preferring, which has at the end game a very big advantage because you could keep your long box at just one TPA or custodian. And out of that, we are just taking it out and putting it on the blockchain, but you don't move, need to move it around across various jurisdictions, settlement systems, et cetera. 
it's not a physical move anymore. It's just the right which we are tokenizing and which will uh, exchange its ownership um, afterwards. So there's a big difference in the old interoperability, which had been worked on and it's still existing and it's good and it's needed for other use cases, which because HQLX just covers a, a specific segment, there's still a lot of use cases where you need interoperability uh, between the players and it's, it's also improving, yes. Uh, just staying with this point a, a minute, someone, should I be surprised that you didn't mention CSD, Central Securities Depositories? You, you talk about tri-party agents and custodians. Should I be surprised that, that CSDs were not part of your target audience, as it were? Uh, then we need to be maybe a bit clearer because we are CSD, so European Clearstream are part of HQLX. Uh, we also got the other custodians, um, uh, like a city who's invested, and uh, joins as, as, as a, in the capacity of a custodian and many more to come. But normally we are driven by the market demand and we have connected, let's say, the, the, the who is who of the TPAs. So the JP Morgan, BNY, um, Euroclear, Clearstream, um, and, and, and also in the capacity of ICSD, we are adding City, who also invested. And there are a few more which are in the pipeline, um, which are in discussions to be connected as well. So we haven't overlooked it. Um, uh, we have got the two biggest ones, uh, the ICSDs, but we are open. So if a CSD really wants to um, open up um, with their uh, collateral offering, we would be open to that, yes. Just so I'm clear, I, I assume that the CSDs, which both you and Euroclear own a part of the network, uh, uh, what I was really thinking about was, was the independent uh, CSDs of, of, of Europe or, or even the, the Swiss-Spanish uh, CSD Alliance, for example, are they, the system is open to them. Yes. Am I right? Yes. So anyone, yes. Yeah. anyone, anyone yeah. 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 Of course we were, as I said at the beginning, it's market demand. So we started off in a, or oh, HQLX started off um, with Deutsche Börse right at the beginning with a couple of 10 banks around the table. And these 10 banks had TPAs or custodians, which they brought to the table. So it's a bit of push and pull. But they pulled us the, um, the TPAs they wanted on the platform. And if new customers, new regions um, coming in, in the future, and let's say it's, it's a Swiss player who holds the collateral, um, not the, the domestic collateral, but maybe um, international collateral in, um, in, in, in SIS, for example, we would be open to SIS to open the, uh, an account equally um, in, in the TTP and, and HQLX, obviously. Right. Now, um, Nick. Uh, you're called HQLA, the clue, as I said at the outset, is in the name. Is this model capable of extension to other asset classes as well, including, say, cryptocurrencies? Well, um, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, in, in theory, the answer is yes, but, the, but there are some, you know, practical challenges that come with that. And, and you know, Tillman has already um, alluded to some of the legal, um, uh, you know, overhead involved in... in, in um, in uh, you know uh, getting the platform up and running so from a technical perspective i think you know it's 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 probably easier um from a legal perspective it's probably more challenging um but it's true that you know our vision is to accelerate the financial ecosystem's transition towards uh frictionless ownership transfers of assets um and we are you know focused on financial institutions that are you know, highly regulated and, um, uh, you know, our securities lend, you know, interested in securities lending or collateral management. Um, and so we're, we're primarily focused on the assets typically used in those marketplaces today. So that's really, 
HQLA, uh, corporate bonds, um, equities. That's our initial focus. Mm -hmm. You don't have a timetable for extending to other assets. You want to make this work first before you think about other things. I think yes. Yes is the short answer to that. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, uh, Tillman, Nick mentioned in his opening remarks the 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 business case for this, uh, the liquidity savings, the capital savings, for example, because you don't mm -hmm. handing over cash, you're not consuming credit. Uh, there'll be operational savings as well. Um, and I, I was interested to read in your own brochure that you put uh, excess HQLA held by the tier one banks alone at 3.65 trillion uh, mm. euros, which leads to excess costs as well of, you know, 10% of that number. So we're talking quite large savings here, actually. But how exactly are the, the, the users of the system going to capture those savings and over what sort of time scale? Maybe I give... Uh, Nick, the chance to answer, and I will just add um, maybe how we see it from a market perspective, but HQLX did the study and came up with the numbers, so I'll, I'll let Nick answer. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question, and, you know, the, the materials obviously talk about this in aggregate form across tier one uh, banks um, and, you know, is intentionally generic. The, the reality is that each institution calculates the cost-benefit analysis themselves internally, um, and you know each one has a different way of doing it, mm. but 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 what I would say is one thing that we've observed is that some institutions um, calculate this more granularly than others. So what that really means is that, that some institutions already factor in the capital costs of, of of doing an individual transaction so that it's clear in advance before the trade is is executed. Other institutions are um, you know have you know, more end of day or, um, you know, less, less frequent reporting. So each institution um, is different. Um, but one trend that I think I've observed is that, that increasingly um, these costs are becoming more apparent to the, to the people that, that are generally pressing the button and executing trades. So uh, that's, that's certainly a trend that we've seen. You know, maybe to add, we also see that you know, people are, there's a scarcity of collateral. So even if you've got enough collateral around, it might be in the, in the wrong, uh, wrong jurisdiction, uh, wrong settlement system, wrong time zone, uh, batch processing. So you have enough, but you can't leverage it. Then you need to finance your trade and your collateral again in a different country, although you would have it in a different one, right? So, and that's getting uh, very expensive. So I would say next to the ops and, uh, and efficiency and risk reduction, it's also, on the on trade by trade overall, there's a saving if you have got enough collateral. If you have short of collateral uh, in general, then um, probably the, the added value we can bring is not as big. But the biggest problem is institutions, global institutions operating in over 100 countries normally have all of the collateral somewhere, but it's stuck with HQLX just mobilized and it can instantaneously move. So there's there's no settlement badge. There's no um, uh, market requ requirements to because the, the assets. Remember, they don't leave. It's just the right on the assets which are which which is which are traveling, and that's that's also a big uh, cost advantage. And and we see that the ALM team in the banks are managing it much more careful these days and trying to optimize their collateral versus uh, five ten years back. So they really capture the benefits by being able to mobilize collateral irrespective of where it is. Correct, correct. Because because if you haven't got enough in your long box, then you need to find it and find collateral elsewhere, and it, it, it can be quite costly. But if you have it, 
you can't mobilize it, but still you need to go out and buy additional collateral in a market. This is where the, the, the big saving would come in. And also uh, that we would add assets, which are today not in the TPA environment. It's what we call internally as hard to fund assets. We, we bring new assets into this environment because also custodians can join. It doesn't need the full functionality of a TPA, which then enables that the, the pie of collateral, which is available and which can be mobilized will also be bigger. I, I understand. Now, Nick, um, I was interested to read in your, in your documents that uh, you're moving collateral intraday at, at what you term at precise moments. And that, that did surprise me, something I, I didn't expect. And if I've understood it correctly, this is an intraday collateral management product. Uh, so A, have I understood that correctly? And B, what's actually, if that is what's happening, what's, what's driving it? How big is that demand for intraday collateral management? Yes, I mean, the, um, I mean what, what the solution gives you is, is the ability to change ownership at, at precise moments in time, which um, can, be, can be intraday or it could be on a, on a term basis I, over, over many days. Um, so it, it really um, helps with both. Um, but we're certainly seeing increased demand from clients to enable um, them to use their collateral in the most efficient way uh, possible uh, throughout the 24-hour day. You know, one of the observations I'd make about this is that, you know, broadly speaking, to for an institution to optimize collateral, they need to, A, they need to know what they've got, and then B, they need to know how they can deploy it in the most efficient way possible. And then once you've got those two things in place, then you need to optimize. And, and really what, what HQLX is giving um, institutions is the ability to deploy it in a more uh, efficient and flexible way um, the, than, than was achievable before. So that's how we are contributing to institutions' ability to, to manage their um, uh, collateral more efficiently. And are, are you supplying the collateral optimization tools or are they using their own and you're just supplying the, the machinery as it were? Yeah, that's a great question. At the, at the moment we're, we're supplying, um, well, we, I guess we call it uh, the execution capability rather than the machinery. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment we're focused on that, but it is certainly, um, you know, an interesting avenue for the future to, to um, see how we could develop um, you know, optimization capability on behalf of clients as well. Now, Nick, there's something else I'd like to understand, this term atomic delivery versus delivery DVD. Am I right to think that we're talking here of collateral baskets and the advantage of this is that you do not have to deliver that basket free of payment, which obviously creates um, credit risk or ingredient indeed delivered against payment which which creates liquidity problems um if i have understood that correctly and, and tell me if i'm wrong uh secondly it's a kind of swap technique really and it, to my way of thinking could it could be extended way beyond collateral upgrade trades as well am i, am I right to think it's capable of infinite extension um yes i mean i think that you know so dvd delivery versus delivery you know, which is another way of saying atomically or another way of saying simultaneously um, is really a play on DVP, which has been a, you know, a long established um, mechanism for delivering uh, securities versus, versus uh, payment versus cash. Um, you know, what we think we're, we're delivering um, that's new here is the ability to do DVD across these disparate um, collateral pools as discussed earlier, but you're absolutely right that the logical extension um, 
for the platform is to extend the DVD to include DVP such that um, the ability to do that ownership exchange <clears throat> at precise moments in time and, and when you want um, is achievable for DVP where you know the P is a, a, a some form of representation of, of cash and so that's that is something that we have on our roadmap and is something that we are that we're focused on um, uh, as we speak you know the the other extension to this is actually um, uh, is actually the ability to pledge baskets of securities so not not actually versus cash but but for example you know if if you give me a basket of securities I could then take that and use it to pledge to a, a central counterpart or indeed you know another counterparty to satisfy you know an OTC derivatives exposure that that I might have with them so um, there's certainly a number of uh, different ways of extending the uh, the original product. Mm-hmm. And if you- maybe maybe Dominic, if I just can add um, to the to the upgrade downgrades of the um, free of payment or DVDs, which are normally two legs, um, and that always consumes today either intraday liquidity or you need uh, credit consumption of your credit line. With a DVD, both are disappearing. And you have got a big saving on your on your credit line or on your intraday liquidity, depending on FOP or, or, or DVP. So for an upgrade downgrade, a DVD is really the magic solution to not to consume uh, intraday liquidity or and or credit line with your custodian. Right. And now, Nick, you mentioned that uh, you might move from DVD to add a DVP component. Uh, and you indicated that might involve payment tokens at this stage. But looking ahead somewhat, would central bank digital currencies issued directly onto blockchain that were available to, to, to do the, the cash leg of DVP, would that be very helpful to you or quite helpful or just not relevant? No, I think um, it would be very helpful. Um, uh, certainly um, what's oft- sometimes called wholesale CBDC would be very helpful, um, you know, to, to us and, and, and our clients. Um, you know, we're we're focused on 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 Europe. We're focused on, therefore, you know, on European uh, currencies. Um, you're absolutely right. CBDC would, would be helpful, but we're we're realistic about um, when that will become available. And so, you know, whilst we we keep an eye on CBDC, we're also focused on more immediate ways of achieving uh, DVP uh, for our clients. Uh, in other words, the ability to exchange, you know, uh, baskets of securities versus cash uh, at precise moments in time and uh, and uh, and when you want. So we're, you know, it's a big topic actually, uh, CBDCs, and um, we're certainly uh, excited about it, um, but we're, we're also focusing on, you know, immediate plans to uh, deliver what our clients want as well. And are you, are you looking at stable coins in the short term? One of your shareholders is an interesting one. Um, we we've done some analysis on all of the different options, and it's 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 kind of a big a big topic um, in its in its own right. Um, and we've looked at all of them, and and you know we continue to have a dialogue with our clients on you know which ones are the best ones to to move forward with in, in the short term. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe just to add and and give you a look behind the scenes, right? We have got in the in the community so many big players as investors, but also the banks represented in, in, in the user groups we hold. And the list of ideas how to extend it is kind of endless. We have got not a problem of trying to be innovative and what's next, 
it's more to get the existing um, uh, you know, solution with upgrade, downgrade and, 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 and single pledges for agency lending up and running on a massive scale and really demonstrate to the market the value we are creating. But the players on and around the table have endless ideas and how to extend it, um, either in depth or in breadth. So asset classes, regions or use cases, um, plenty of them. Yeah, I, I would just, that's absolutely right, Tom. And, and um, you know, it's really not um, HQLX, um, you know, coming up with these ideas in a vacuum. You know, we work with clients and, and actually quite often, you know, clients approach us with ideas and, you know, and we help them, uh, uh, you know, work them through. But it's, uh, uh, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of possibilities here and we're, we're certainly very excited about the future. I think it's a real demonstration from the start to make it a customer oriented solution, not trying to be more clever than, than the market, developing something and surprise everyone. It was from the, from the beginning, actually, a yeah. market-led initiative with the um, so-called Bravo banks, 10, 10 banks around the table saying, yes, that's a good idea. Uh, let's brainstorm how we can uh, bring it to market. Um, and that continued throughout the, um, uh, the last two years. Of course, uh, ideas are easy. Implementation is hard, as, as Indeed. Tom was, was saying. Uh, and Nick Tillman also said that, that the, the goal, the, the short-term goal, is obviously to get this collateral mobility covering uh, upgrade trades, you know, up and running and, and working properly and delivering um, benefits. But can I press you a little bit about whether you've got plans to to expand into into other activities? Tillman mentioned, for example, you take in a basket of collateral that could then be used to to um, meet a margin call or cover a short position. Is that the type of thing you, you're looking to, to, you know, to cover other activities which do generate these, these needs for collateral and short selling margin calls are obviously two very, very clear examples. Is that part of the medium term roadmap? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that um, on short selling, that, that's, that's not something that's, that's, um, that we're seeing a, a huge demand for from, from our clients with respect to, to our solution. But, um, you know, as mentioned earlier, certainly, um, you know, pledging to satisfy margin requirements is one because it's, it's just a very uh, attractive proposition. So, for example, um, you know, if Tillman has a basket of securities in a, in a location that I, <clears throat> excuse me, that I need to pledge from, then I can execute a, a collateral swap transaction with Tillman. And then I, then I own a basket of securities in, in that um if you like away location and then i can use that to pledge it to satisfy my margin uh requirements um from that location so and all of that um you know that whole transaction you know first the collateral swap and then the subsequent margin pledge happens without the the securities physically moving you know to tillman's earlier point and that that's a big big advantage and we you know we see a lot of interest from our clients in uh in uh, building out that kind of flow. I think the, the, the big theme in the industry is the uh, mobilization and you know, to, to mobilize it, that's, that's already um, you know, a big challenge which is out there for many, many years and which, which is now uh, addressed. Um, then, then, then optimize it, uh, but, but then to reuse it, uh, like Nick said, that you have got the collateral and it's still mobilized and can be reused for a UMR uh, whatever. This is the, the, the big topics we are working on is the reuse as much as possible, uh, because that gives a second life to, to the asset. Mm -hmm. Now, now Tom, you've been pretty clear, you want to learn to 
walk before you can run, but I'm sorry to be so annoying about looking too far into the future, but is there actually any limit to the idea or the application of the idea of these frictionless ownership transfers of assets? Is there any limit to it at all? I, I, I would say no, no, not from the concept, uh, but coming back to, we are servicing the financial markets and financial institutions. So that's why we are staying with the existing asset class and obviously under strict um, regulation. And we always need the smallest uh, common denominator. So if one jurisdiction is relaxed, but the other is not, it doesn't help us too much because the customers are normally acting global. So we would be um, very strict on uh, being kind of uh, regulatory compliant for a mass market where professional financial institutions can see a benefit. And we are focusing on that niche. Oh, that niche is big enough. <laughs> that niche for the moment. Yeah, well, the niches come in different sizes for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's um, a niche of 3.6 trillion now. Uh, uh, now, back to, to, to making the business grow. Uh, network effects are obviously going to be hugely important to this. Uh, you touched on, on who's in the queue to, to get fully involved right at the beginning of this, of this discussion. But can you tell us a bit more about what progress you've made in attracting users from the supply side? And I'm talking here really of, of custodian banks as agent lenders. You've touched on this a number of times. Uh, that it's open to all comers. And on the demand side, you've also got Goldman um, involved already, but all the other investment banks would clearly be a source of, of demand as well. So, so network effects, um, how quickly can you grow this network? What are the techniques you're using to, to grow the network? Yeah, good, uh, good question. I mean, it's it's true that the 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 platform was originally conceived as a as a as a bank to bank to bank demand side solution, um, and um, you know that's pretty pretty well established. And and uh, you know our clients are, are, are focused on on um, uh, you know the benefits that they'll get from that. But it, but it's also increasingly the case that we're turning our attention to the supply side too. And and in fact this year. Um, you know, we'll be connecting Bank of New York Mellon Agency Sec Lending and JP Morgan Agency Sec Lending uh, businesses to the platform as well. Um, and so this, what this gives us is just, well, obviously more, more supply of, of collateral on the platform. Um, and it, it also gives the borrowers of that collateral the, the ability to use the platform for the benefits that we, we mentioned earlier, all of the upgrade, downgrade, um, capital cost saving benefits that we discussed. So um, you know, we're very excited about this product development. Um, I think that, you know, we, we, we certainly do use the network effect. We have, um, as, as we mentioned earlier, a strong uh, shareholder base who have, um, you know, help, uh, helped us uh, uh, and are helping us, um, you know, market the platform and, and promote the platform. So we're, we're, we're very uh, excited about the future and, and certainly, uh, you know, leverage their their, uh, their network effect uh, expertise as well. Yeah, I think I think maybe to add at the beginning we started off with the banks. The banks pulled us the um, the supply, so all of the custodians and uh, TPAs, which then again now are promoting it, saying we are part of the game. Um, and as you can see with the press releases out, and then this adds liquidity and credibility to um, to the system. And then the customers, more and more customers come and approach us on the participant side saying, now we want to join uh, our custodian or TPA is already part of it. Or even 
it's missing, can you please connect them as well? So it's kind of push and pull where we, one side helps the other side and uh, in, in, in the middle, we, we have got a, a long list of participants we need to, we need to onboard uh, on request. We can always talk uh, just on the names which have given us the permission, uh, but the team on HQLX and the TTP is busy onboarding uh, quite a substantial number of participants at the moment. So, so Nick, just to be clear on this point, how many are live, how many users are live on the service now? Who are they? And as Tillman has just said, there's a people queuing up to do this. How long's the, the queue? <laughs> how long's the queue? <laughs> um, the, well, the, the queue is quite long. Um, I think really the question is, you know, when do those people on the queue um, you know, join the platform. I mean, by the by the end of the, this year, um, you know, we'll have the likes of you know Commerce Bank, Credit Suisse, UBS, Goldman Sachs, uh, Bank of New York, Agency Sec Lending, and J.P. Morgan Agency Sec Lending. Um, you know, on the platform. You know, some of those institutions have already executed trades um, already. Um, and then, you know, as Tillman said, you know, we we have a you know a longer list actually. You know, behind those those leading. Uh, uh, banks, um, all of whom are, you know, in various stages of onboarding to the platform. Um, and of course, um, you know, as Tillman said, you know, these institutions talk to each other and they, you know, they encourage um, each other um, to onboard and execute trades on the platform. And of course, they in turn um, uh, encourage others to uh, to get started with the onboarding process. So, you know, we're, we're certainly, you know, that's what we mean by the network effect. And we certainly see that that happening and it happening. And we're, we're, we're excited about um, how that attracts participants to the platform. And, and just to add, Nick, on the, on the TPA side, we have got the BP2S, BNY, uh, yep. City, um, JP Morgan, all live and now promoting it um, equally. They will be all live, fully live um, and end of year. And each and everyone is promoting it now to their customer base, obviously saying we are ready, which is basically this push and pull uh, effect, which is quite nice. Right. Yeah. Now, now, obviously, the people who are live and the people who are in the queue have kind of made a commitment to, to, to do this. But as you talk to firms around the marketplace, around the world, what are the obstacles you're encountering to why they wouldn't join? Is it because they have to spend money on interface? Is it because their processes are so archaic they can't accommodate the way you're doing things? Is it because their own technology is out of date? What are the what are the obstacles to actually joining HQLA X, and how can you overcome those obstacles? Yeah, look, that, that's a great question, and I think I think frankly, um, you know, you list some of those obstacles in 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 your question, and I'm not going to deny that they that you know that they exist, um, and I would say that they you know it's not a uniform you know, they don't exist in exactly the same way across each institution. And it's, um, it's actually been uh, interesting to observe the, the, the variation in, in um, you know, uh, across institutions. But, but what I would say is that, you know, with any new um, innovative product, it's, it's often not that easy to um, change the way that things are done. And, and, and actually in, in, in this particular marketplace, securities lending marketplace, change the way that things have been done I think for many years, I think it's fair to say in the in the same way. Um, so there's certainly new challenge, you know, challenges of rolling out a new innovative product. Um, but you know, I would, I think it was uh, Einstein who who once said that you know we we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking um, that we used uh, when we created them. So 
it certainly, you know, it does feel like that this marketplace is something that, you know, is, um, is if I can say, ripe for a little bit of innovation. And I think that's, that's mm -hmm. what we're trying to provide. And of course, um, there will be incumbents who will, um, to a certain extent, you know, you know, resist that change. But I think that, um, you know, we are making good progress on, um, on moving things forward. And I think that there, in addition to that, there's been a lot of focus on um, from institutions in recent years on uh, regulatory changes. Um, and I think that um, there's certainly a little bit of a sense that, that, that perhaps going forwards, there's a little bit more capacity to take on new ideas such as HQLAX. Mm -hmm. Maybe just to give it a different spin, sorry, I'm <laughs> yeah. um, because um, Nick has in the background a nice, um, nice picture on the marketplace, whereas the digital uh, platform, uh, the TTP and the TPA, why we, we try to make it as easy as possible for the customer, because if the customer has today uh, Eurex as a trading platform and they've got a collateral location, there is in inverted commas, not a lot to do because they've got all of the legacy technology already in-house. But what Nick said is completely true. This new product procedure in an organization in the vertical uh, from mainly a legal perspective to ensure that nothing can go wrong in this new setup in between, this is where all the banks go through intensive reviews, um, risk management, legal, to ensure that the front-to-end uh, process is, um, uh, is working uh, in a regulatory compliant, safe and resilient way. And that's what uh, takes most of, the, uh, most of the time. The connectivity on, if you're a Eurex, you're trading today, nothing to do. You have got your, your TPA, which you can put all of your assets in, in future, use it as a long box and deliver out everything to the other uh, TPAs instantaneously is a great thing. I was just thinking that, uh, as, Nick, as Nick said, uh, people are switching away from investing in regulation to investing in things that might make the business more efficient. I guess one of your um, um, benefits you can offer is that you, this helps them comply with, with regulation, particularly on the capital side. But anyway. Um, yeah, that's true. Sorry, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely true. The, um, yeah, always a, a free marketing argument from future finance. Here. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I, uh, now you mentioned that, uh, that your existing um, users are in effect marketing the service for you by talking to their counterparts to, to get involved. What other strategies are, are you using to, obviously you're bringing people up yourself and going to see them directly yourself. Um, uh, what other strategies are there for distributing this, uh, this service apart from, um, you know, using existing users to persuade their counterparts and direct approaches from yourselves? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, I think we've talked about some of these. I mean, you know, we have um, you know we have investors, we have participants, and as as Tillman rightly said, you know, we have custodians and tripartite agents connected to the platform. So we we have a a pretty healthy network effect across all of those. Um, HQLAX was um, founded by you know um, two people that have uh, you know had some time in the marketplace themselves, and so they've got good uh, network connectivity. Um, you know, this is we're you know we're effectively um, orchestrating a market um, infrastructure. Um, so, as Tillman said earlier, you know, one side pulls in the other side, and we're certainly um, seeing that. You know, it, it's uh, stating the obvious, really, but it takes two two to do a trade, and so you need you know if if one side is interested in HQLX and 
you know, you need, uh, you know, they'll encourage others to join the platform to do, to do that trade. So it's really a mixture of all of those. And then, of course, on top of that, it's the, it's the usual, um, you know, marketing routes, go and see people, you know, social media, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, interoperability, uh, you know, one of the benefits of your platform, Tillman was very articulate about this earlier on, is actually you, you get away from interoperability problems in collateral management. But clearly it's being able to interoperate with other networks, by which I mean both traditional networks as well as blockchain ones which exist already which may exist in the future, particularly as you expand the range of asset classes and, and collateral demand techniques which you, which you cover. Um, do you think that that interoperability depends upon some kind of agreement on data standards or dare I say it, even message standards? Do you need something to, to make the, the connectivity more seamless? Yes, I mean, I think that's the short answer is, is yes, although you can, you can, you know, you can do it without that. But, but, but it's certainly something that we're, we're very focused on. Um, we, we think that across networks that, that you know, there is a, an opportunity to collaborate and we're certainly open and, you know, actually actively collaborating in a number of areas. Uh, we are also um, fans and supportive of uh, the ISLA CDM. Um, so the the common domain model, um, and we've had some discussions with them. Um, so so yes, I think that there you know one of the implications of an HQLAX model is is standardization. Um, but we're that's something that we're we're focused on as part of the vision. But again, you know we're taking baby steps towards that. Mm-hmm. And is it very complicated by these legal obstacles you've referred to, different jurisdictions, and so on? Um, I wouldn't say it's very complicated. It's just something that we, you know, we maintain focus on as as we evolve um, the platform going forwards. But it's 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 just one of those things that uh, obviously needs to be done. And, and and maybe just on that one, because the marketplace, let's say, is orchestrated in in Germany, the collateral location might be in Belgium or Luxembourg. The TTP is in Luxembourg. The customer is in the UK. So it's the, the integrated silo to make sure that a UK customer operating on these various jurisdictions, the TTP being in, in Luxembourg, that everyone feels comfortable and it's regulatory compliant to the bank regulation in the UK in that example. And that's where it gets complex because all of the various combinations needs to work. If one combination doesn't work, the entire thing doesn't work for that customer. And that's why it is a European thing. And we had to register um, the TTP in Luxembourg. Uh, We've got so much to do to make sure it fulfills all of the regulatory requirement in all of the uh, European countries to start with. So Tillman, if it's it's complex within the European Union, presumably as you expand this um, service to other geographies, it's going to get get still more complicated this problem isn't going to go away it's going to get more extended isn't it yes to a certain extent at the moment we want to focus on on europe on the marketplace europe but of course the assets can um, can be uh, outside then we need a legal opinion can we mobilize them uh, how they are recognized Um, that's why we said let's start and focus on making the european marketplace uh, more efficient but then we have got already um, plans how to expand in and where first in which other jurisdictions, yes. 
So there's no concrete plan at this point, Nick, to, I don't know, go to Asia. Um, no, there's no concrete plan. I mean, the, 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 it is, we're focused on Europe. We're focused on getting the platform established in Europe. Um, but, but there is absolutely demand for Asia and, 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 and the North Americas, um, including, you know, Canada, uh, for example. So there's definitely the demand, but, you know, as Tillman said, um, earlier, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we could be doing. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, we are very um, <laughs> focused on remaining focused on, on our short term deliverables. Sorry for the double use of the, of the word, but, but that's certainly uh, our objective to, you know, stay focused on Europe and uh, get the platform established there first. I like that area of focused on. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but talking back to Europe, uh, you know, if we look back 20 or, or 30 years, Europe seems to engage in this very extended um, process at various levels to, to create a more efficient um, post-trade environment. And we've had Giovannini reports and, and, and we've had T2S. Uh, we have a European collateral management system run by the ECB and so on. But we still... Uh, national markets still seem very, um, very closed. Uh, the actual volume of, of, of business, which is which is being transacted by national systems across national borders, is still very is still very low. There's a European Commission report about this mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. this week pointing this out. So, does the value of your service to some extent depend upon the persistence of these siloed securities holding and settlement systems in Europe? Yeah, uh, that, that's that's a great question. I mean, I think. Um, we see HQLX as, or you know, the operating model of HQLX as being the natural evolution of that existing uh, model. Um, you know, DLT or distributed ledger technology has certainly arrived at the right time um, to help, frankly, to help reduce the impact of, of that siloed uh, model that you refer to. Um, I think it's, you know, like anything, it's evolving, but but certainly we're, you know, we think that we're. Um, complementing that existing model today. And I think it's a difference between where the local investors invest in and where the settlement takes place and all of that, and how financial institutions, professional institutions need to manage their collateral. And I think there it's definitely uh, international and we, we are the enabler between the, the, the old and the new world. So we have got a solution, but you are right, obviously, in the, the silos still exist and they will probably exist and they might, might exist for the next 20 years but for our segment so collateral management optimization uh, for professional institutions um, I think we have got uh, a, a great solution. Mm -hmm. Now Nick you mentioned um, DLT technology come along at the right time you mentioned earlier using R3 Corda which of course the blockchain DLT purists would say isn't really a blockchain at all but it does uh, I assume allow you to overcome the problems of speed and scalability which classic blockchain would, would present to you but are there are there um is there any loss of benefit you get from from that um you, you see what you gain but do you lose something um well i think that i think what's what you're referencing in your question is 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 really a difference between public uh, blockchain blockchains and private permissioned blockchains and we certainly took the view um back in the day that you know we needed a a private permissioned blockchain um, because you know the transaction that I enter into with Tillman should be private and only you know visible to 
Tillman and myself. Um, and so, you know, that, that that is one of the key differences. And and, and it's also one of the differences why we, we, we chose our freeze Corda um, DLT in the first place, because it was, you know, um, originally crafted and, and designed to specifically satisfy um, the needs of, of capital markets and and therefore ensure that you know only those two institutions that have actually entered into a transaction can can see the details so um you mm -hmm. know that, that that's why we uh, we went down that route mm -hmm. perhaps my question was needlessly obscure you're right i was i was thinking of that but i wondered if if being private permissioned rather than public non-permissioned makes the network effects more difficult rather than easier um in what way? Sorry. <laughs> well, if you were if you were a completely open network, anybody could join this with a with a private mission network. You have to have you will have some control. Your existing members won't. You know, there'll be certain people they might not want to be part of the network because they don't trust them for some reason. Um, on the one hand, that could make your life easier because it enables you to control who's in this thing. On the other hand, it might make it more difficult because you'll come across people you'd love to have as part of the network because they could contribute a lot of assets or contribute a lot of demand for assets, but uh, they don't fit in. That's what I was wondering. Well, I, look, I mean, the, the platform is is really focused on um, securities lending participants, um, you know, who, who are highly regulated. So there is a certain, um, you know, closed nature in terms of, you know, who can participate on, uh, participate on the platform. Um, so, yes, you're right. That's another reason why we, you know, we're, we're not using a, a public blockchain and, and therefore that it's uh, it's open to, um, you know, everyone and uh, everyone under the sun, as it were. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that that's important. It's not for um, edge critics or for Deutsche Börse uh, to judge, but it's the customer demand. The customer wants to know who's in the club, who are they yeah. dealing with, what's the risk profile, etc. Um, and they they would be highly scared if uh, it would be open to everyone on a public blockchain. Um, I think we wouldn't have pulled it off if we wouldn't have gone with that concept. Yeah, and I guess you have a very well-defined universe as well. I remember somebody once saying to me that only 70 people on the planet are actually even interested in securities lending and financing. So a nice, tightly defined group of institutions and people. Um, if, it, if it's 70, then probably all of them are in, in the list, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, now, one other thing is you allude to HKLX being able to, to deliver regulatory transparency. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what you meant by that. Was that a reference to SFTR reporting or something else? Yeah, um, it, it could be, but it, really the point of this is that um, with this type of technology and this type of solution, there it, it you have the capability to provide a regulator with a node, and so um, you know all within the you know the, the permissioned uh, rights etc. But what what that would give um, a regulator is a view of the transactions that they should see, which is by definition consistent with the view of, that the participants have uh, with respect to the transactions that they've entered into. So there's no, the point is that there's no need therefore for um, separate feeds of, of regulatory reporting from each of the participants. And then, you know, uh, you, you kind of have to hope that the two views of trades match up somehow. They would already be matched up um, from the get-go. And then, you know, that's, that's frankly, you know, one of the broader benefits of this type of, of technology and this type of solution is that it, it, it you know, it has a consistent view of the data up front rather than needing to reconcile, you know, thereafter. So that, that was really the point of, um, 
-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the TTP is the regulated entity which provides this transparency. And there's just one rule book which defines exactly um, who's the owner, what happens, how's the process, and the regulator can look at that rule book and look at the TTP and the engine and approve it or not. And then it's not bilaterally agreed um, uh, and every, everything is bespoke. It's one rule book which would be, uh, which we got approved by the regulations or regulator in the various countries and which is the, the, the masterpiece, right? So that's the, 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 the magic document which provides all of the um, mechanics and um, the regulator is open to have a look at, at one central rule book. Mm -hmm. yeah. so it's about regulatory reporting efficiency and no need yeah. for conciliation and so on. Yeah, I, I can see the benefits of that. Um, now, now, Tillman, uh, one of the great debates I notice uh, in many of the discussions we have with organizations trying to change the way things are done in the marketplace, uh, and obviously at either extreme, there are people who want to do nothing, and at the other extreme, there are people, well, I wouldn't do it that way. You know, we should just totally reinvent this market and not pay attention to anybody. But I do notice that uh, are coming together in the middle of a more pragmatic approach by people where they're looking, you know, a lot of fintechs are looking to get regulated, uh, and a lot of regulated firms are looking to see what they can learn from uh, from what fintechs are doing. And you kind of fall into that, mm -hmm. that pragmatic, evolving uh, approach approach to it. But one of the one of the um, points of difference which, which has emerged in these conversations is the difference between relying purely on competition and commerce, commercial incentives to drive change, but also the need to be collaborative. Now, yeah. I think I'm right to say that this entire project, HQNAX, began as a, as, a, as a proof of concept, if you like, within the Deutsche Börse Group, and it, it, has, it has broadened out and become yeah. a collaborative project. You decided not to go down this purely commercial competitive path. So what explains that? Why was it necessary to be collaborative rather than commercial competitive? Yeah, I think um, it's both. We from Deutsche Börse and HKLIX always had in mind that we need to open it up. So we, we, we never wanted to you know, own it 80%, 90% and uh, leave it as a, as a closed club. That was clear from the, uh, from the beginning. It only works in a collaborative approach. But we um, very soon when we talk to the market participants, we got a request to, uh, from, from, from the customers connecting, um, they wanted to invest as well and be part of this new ecosystem. And that was then in end of last year, beginning of this year, the right timing to do that. But if we would have gone with the proof of concept and wouldn't have done the initial funding um, uh, back three years and would have just gone with the concept to all of the players, it would probably not have worked at that time. So we provided the initial funding, always having in mind that at one moment in time, if it flies, we need to open it up um, because we need to collaborate. Um, building it on your own uh, is probably not going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick, uh, to, to further elaborate on that point, in a sense, can we just, this will be my last question. Can we talk about, talk about the money? You've this year completed a Series B funding and as we've discussed, you've got BNY Mellon, Goldman Sachs, BNB Paribas, City, Deutsche Börse, obviously there. And just very recently, JP Morgan has, has joined the group. You've, you've raised nearly $30 million. Uh, was it dollars or euros? Um, I've got, it doesn't matter. But does this, does this, um, this ownership group actually limit in some way what you can do? And as you look to expand the, the, the product set and the services you supply to other asset classes and other types of transaction, are you gonna be obliged in a sense to, to open the, the ownership ledger um, still 
still further. And what's the what's the attraction for people coming in as as shareholders? They obviously benefit from the operational capital, liquidity savings, and so on. But is there going to be a um, a dividend they're going to get from this as well? So you know, if you look forward five or ten years, what would you? How do you? envisage the future of HQLAX in terms of how wide will the shareholdings be and what sort of business model will you be operating to? Will these, will these shareholders be collecting rebates or, or dividends? Uh, what's the, is, it, maybe it's too early to answer this question, but I'd be interested to see how you, you see the organization evolving commercially, financially, and in terms of, of ownership structure. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the, um... What, what I would say is that, um, as, as Tillman said, this, this has been a, a collaborative process and we're, we're super excited um, to have on board all of the investors that you just listed. And of course, um, you know, with, with Deutsche Börse as well. You know, in, in most cases, this is a, you know, I think it's fair to say this is a mutually beneficial arrangement um, because uh, these investors um, want to see the platform be a success. They, they, you know, it's 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 not the most exciting word, but this is a piece of market um, infrastructure, um, and they will all benefit from using it, either as participants or um, as uh, tri-party agents or, or custodians. So that is why um, you know it's not really just about the money; it's also about the contribution to the overall uh, platform success that the that these investors will bring. You know, where we are right now um, is that. Um, you know, we, we frankly have got all of the strategic investors we want at this point. Um, so, you know, we're not uh, at this moment in time uh, planning to have any more, but, you know, anything's possible in the future. Um, but, um, but we certainly feel good about where we are and, and we're, we're, we're super excited about um, what each of these investors will bring as a whole and uh, both individually to to move the platform forward. So, you know, going back to the start of your question, we don't think this limits um, uh, anything particularly. In fact, we just mm-hmm. think it's it's all positive and, and it, it, it's really, you know, it, it will be, uh, it will just help the platform be a success in the end. I, th- I think when we put together the, the list to, um, to our various boards on who we want as a strategic investor, not looking at the money, but looking at who can make the success of this platform more likely, we probably got the, the who is who and everyone we had on, on our wish list. Now, going forward, one statement would be, we are not closed. We would listen to everyone who wants to, to get in. Uh, at the moment, there's no concrete plan, but there are two uh, different interests. Let's say for the treasury or the, the LM, uh, ALM management of a bank, they just want it to work. They want their cost saving. And they want it as cheap as possible in, in our solution. They don't want to be shareholder because, and then comes all of the, the others who are arrangers, agent lenders, etc., where we don't think they are uh, too much interested because they might get conflicted with MIFID inducements if they route it that way and also get a dividend. So I think at the moment we have got the right shareholder structure We've got the right people connected, connected already and the critical mass. And basically, I can't think of more than one name who's not connected yet on the TPA level, which we are working on to complete the, the offering. And we've got a long list on the participants. And none of them are really now asking and trying to get into the shareholder uh, structure. They want to make it work, get their savings they've promised, 
if they use HQLX, uh, they're going to generate for the asset liability management of a bank. Tilman Victor and Nick Short, thank you very much for taking so much time to explain so clearly, so openly, and in such detail what it is you're doing at HQLX. Thank you. Thank you.